the grocery store shelves were empty. Emergency orders were put in place. Schools, gyms, and all kinds of public buildings shut down their normal activities. International flights were even interrupted. Now, I'm not referring to what happened to our lives six months ago. I'm actually talking about what happened to the small northern Canadian town of Gander when on September 11th, 2001, just after the attacks, 38 different flights were rerouted in mid-air and needed to be grounded immediately, and 38 flights were sent to the small town of Gander, landing at their very tiny airport. And all of a sudden, a town with a population of 10,000 people were, found themselves welcoming in some 7,000 passengers and crew. And the town and the life for the citizens of Gander was turned upside down. Now, we'll circle back to that little town in a few minutes, but for right now, I want to ask everybody at all campuses to turn in their Bibles to Romans chapter 12, the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. That's in our New Testament, and um, can I just say it, it's, it's so good to even, even get to see and hear some Bible pages turning. That's doing my heart good right now. Um, and uh, man, just, just thinking about this, this weekend, I'm so excited, uh, Hills Church, to get to be with you and to launch into this unity series. It's, uh, it's one that, I, you know, today is a day that's brought for me a lot of excitement and at the same time, like some other mixed emotions. I even felt, this is weird, I even felt a little bit nervous. Like I haven't preached like this since February. And, and I was wondering like, is this going to be like, oh, it's just like riding a bike. It'll be fine. Or is it going to be like when you sit down for too long, then you stand up and your, your legs are all wobbly. Like, you know, how's it going to feel? Then there was another part of me that was getting more excited thinking about the people that I would get to see and, and the reunions that would be taking place and how good that would feel. And then right alongside that, I was thinking about the people who would be joining us online that we would not yet get to see in person. And so I had all of these kind of mixed emotions going into this. And, and I guess I want to say before we get into this passage, maybe, maybe that's you. And I want to give all of us some permission to, uh, for those who are live at our campuses, what, whatever you're feeling today, just we're, we're holding space with you. You may have deep joy right now at the thought of gathering together, of being together where you are at South Lake, at West Fort Worth, at North Richland Hills, and that there may also be a little bit of a sense of, man, this is so different. We want to hold space with you. It's okay to feel what we feel, and yet in the midst of all these mixed emotions, I felt this burden, this drawing from the Spirit to go seeking a place in Scripture that would remind me, remind us as a church, what is true about our community of faith regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the obstacles that we face. That's brought me to Romans chapter 12. You know, it's been... Um, it's been a while since we've gotten to do this, and so as I read verses 1 to 8, I want to invite every single person live at all of our campuses, uh, if you're able, um, will you stand for the reading of God's Word? 
And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. There are, uh, we, we are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. This is God's word for us today. Hills Church, you can be seated. Now, as we begin a series that I've entitled Unity, God's People Living God's Way, uh, there's an important place for us to begin, especially when we're jumping into the middle of a longer letter in Romans chapter 12. And so I want to begin with this. If you're taking notes, we'll begin saying that unity is accomplished by Jesus. We see this very clearly at the beginning of this chapter. And see, if we miss this, if, if, we, if we don't understand this foundational point that unity is first and foremost accomplished by Jesus, that unity is only made possible through Jesus, if, if we miss this, we're going to experience the rest of the series, the rest even of this chapter, uh, out of alignment with what a missionary and church planner, Paul, had in mind when he wrote this chapter. Look back again at, at verse 1. I'm going to read from the NIV. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So this first sentence is an important reminder for us that that word therefore, it's there for a reason because Paul has spent chapters 1 through 11 talking about this very thing that he's getting to as he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy. Chapters 1 to 11 of the book of Romans have been spelling out the mercy of God, the compassion of God. And Paul's been doing this through an announcement, the news, the hope that, that we call the gospel. And he talks about the power of the gospel at the very beginning of his letter and then begins to unpack the trouble that humanity found itself in. in Romans 3, he says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. 
In Romans 5, he explains that, that sin, once it entered the world, well, death followed it. And so there's this predicament for humanity that in sin we are headed towards death unless someone will come rescue us. And in Romans 8, Jesus becomes a sin offering to pay for our sin, to condemn sin in the flesh. But there's this glorious turn in Romans 8 of the hope that we have, the Holy Spirit present among us, God present in the flesh in Jesus who entered creation and and came to save us, that He came to embody the mercy and compassion of God, to meet us in our sin when we didn't deserve it, Christ willingly went to a cross and died to redeem us, to rescue us, to do this both, as Paul writes throughout the letter, for the Jew among God's chosen people, but also for the Gentile who would be outside of the Hebrew nation. God came in the person of Jesus for every single person because every single person needs God's mercy and needs a Savior. And so, Paul's worked really, really hard to earn that therefore, to make this turn. And if on accident we were to read what follows out of context, we, we might experience some of this series as maybe a multi-week guilt trip about going to church or being a better Christian or being a nice person. Like, we might, we might inadvertently uh, miss the rich joy and truth of God's mercy that grounds everything else that's going to follow. So if you're watching right now, maybe you're, maybe you're listening to the sound of my voice and you're not yet a Christian. I'm so glad that you're with us, whether in person or online. Some of what we're going to teach over the next few weeks, I pray, will be helpful for you, even just practically. Maybe, maybe you're, you're a teammate, maybe you're a leader, maybe you're a manager, maybe you're someone who has some circle of influence, and some of what we're going to teach about unity will help you just practically, because the, the Bible's full of practical wisdom full of great knowledge and and truth about how to treat one another and and how to interact inside of a community. Like, these things will be helpful to you whether you believe in Jesus or not, but what I want you to understand is the real deeper truth of how these, these truths in Romans 12 transform us, that doesn't happen through a couple of tips or some good ideas. That happens only founded on the mercy that's in Jesus Christ. Everything else we're going to talk about in this series is in view of that mercy. So if you're maybe trying to better understand the Christian faith, here's a short sentence that might help. It comes from a, a, a Scottish theologian from the 1800s, Thomas Erskine, who once said, in the New Testament, religion is grace and ethics is gratitude. All right, I I like a short, pithy statement, and I'm a fan of that one. In the New Testament, religion is grace and ethics is gratitude. It's just a, a short, concise way of saying that for Christians, our faith is founded on the mercy and compassion of God. And anything that we teach out of that about how to treat one another or how to think about each other, how to, how to love and serve and live around each other, the ethic that we share as Christians is born in response to that grace, out of the thankfulness and gratitude we feel toward God, not out of a guilt trip. And so, in the mercy of God, Paul's helping the church that he's talking to, realize 
and helping us realize that God has worked to reunite us first to Himself through Jesus, through grace that's taken away our sin, that's welcomed us into God's family. But because it's a family, God has not only worked to reunite us with Him, but also with others. And and unity in Christ is not a theory, it is a reality because Jesus accomplished it. But I don't blame you if you're listening and you're thinking, okay, but but how can you say that Christian unity is already accomplished when we don't always experience it? That's a fair question. I mean, it's part of why uh, I felt this burden to, to head in this direction for this series. This has been such a time of disconnection and disagreement and even division, and what's happening at the ground floor level of our daily lives often makes us wonder if grace really accomplished what we thought it did, if it really brought unity that lasts. And it might cause you to ask, did Jesus really make us one if we're still experiencing disagreement and division? So, that's a good question, and here's how I'd respond. Our neighbors across the street are uh, putting their house up for sale. So, all, their whole house has been their quarantine project. Over the last several months, they've been doing all kinds of renovations and work. And even a few weeks ago, uh, my neighbor uh, gave me a little tour through the house to show me some of the things that they'd been working on and things they, they'd even, you know, remodeling some, some rooms and replacing the AC unit and their water heater and just all these different things, some work in the backyard, laying down new sod, new paint, you know, all those different things. I mean, All in all, it was a lot of work that they had done and some that they had hired out. But at no point during all that work did they have to sleep at a hotel. Yeah, it was under construction, but it was still their home. Under renovation, but it was still where they gathered. So it is with God's church. The church is God's house The New Testament metaphor is actually the temple. And and I don't mean a building, I mean the gathered people of God. And God is working on His church, growing us, healing us, empowering us, loving us, connecting us, transforming us, but He is not vacating us even in the midst of the work He's having to do. We're a work in progress, but we're still God's people. We're still God's house. And guess what? He happens to have a great carpenter from Nazareth working on his house, working to reunite us, working to build us, working to refine us. So whatever divisions, whatever disputes, whatever struggles we may experience as a community, they do not compare to the unity Jesus has brought and made reality in his church. And so we can confidently say, Jesus has made us one, Jesus is making us one, and Jesus will finally make us one in eternity. But if Jesus is going to be the one to lead it, we've got to follow His design. And part of what this passage in Romans 12 shows us is that unity is designed with diversity in mind. Now, let's put this in context. Paul wrote this letter to a group of Christians in Rome, and their church had some amount of diversity. Uh, this, This was actually their diversity, Jew and Gentile, these different perspectives and lived experiences and and the the, the kind of assumptions they came into church with. 
Like, it was the source of some of their tensions, and Paul's trying to help them see that unity is designed with diversity in mind. And so, the challenge was that these Jews and Gentiles had differing opinions, and in the chapters following that we won't get into in this series, you can read and see, especially in, in uh, chapter 14, 15, towards the end, like Paul is laying out and dealing with some of their differing opinions that had led to disagreements, which were headed towards outright division. Unfortunately, that is often the path. Diversity can bring out differences, which leads to disagreements, which lead to division. But Paul writes to them to start them back again at the mercy of God and lead them into a different narrative. Because once we know what God's done for us, we'll know what we have in common with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it puts whatever is different between us or about us into proper perspective because we see it in view of God's mercy. Let me make this really clear. Whether differences revolve around race, class, gender, generation, education level, tax bracket, nationality, political persuasion, relationship status, or any other qualifier or category, these differences must be seen in light of God's grace and in view of God's mercy. And in Paul's writing, you could make the case right here in Romans 12 that diversity shouldn't be a source of division but diversity should be a source of strength because God intended that Christian unity is designed with diversity in mind. And he starts to spell this out and and maybe a way of saying it or to make sure you hear it plain, unity in the church doesn't mean uniformity. Like the church is not made up of like 3D printer Christians where there's just a data chip and everything gets spit out exactly the same in the same shape and the same form and the same approach and the same lived experiences. We are not 3D printer Christians. No, our God has made each of us as his handiwork, handmade works of art by the scarred hands of our risen Savior. And he makes each one of us uniquely to fit into the body of Christ And that's the metaphor that the Apostle Paul uses to help get the point across. He says in verses 4 and 5, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. Now, this is a uh, a brilliant metaphor. It's simple and yet it has huge implications and, and it's one of Paul's favorites. He, he's used it in different letters with the different churches that he's written to inside the New Testament. But basically, think for a moment about, about our bodies. Like, our bodies are immensely complex with cooperating systems and organs and limbs and bone structures and neurons and so many different unique parts that work together to make one body. In human anatomy, unity is designed with diversity in mind. And Paul's taking that idea and comparing the church to our physical bodies. Now, if if you've been living in a physical body for any amount of time, you realize quickly that our body parts don't have interchangeable functions. Like, you you get what I'm saying? Like, like if if the mouth wants to take a day off, the ear can't sub in. Okay, That's, that's not how it works. Each part has its own specific function. You need all of the parts working together. So if the church according to Paul, is a body, then that means the church is not like a sports team 
And, and I, I, won't, I won't name a specific one because you could just pick whichever one you want because basically we're at a very unique time in history right now in which every single team sport seems to be on TV at the same time. Like, I, I mean, seriously, like, like take your pick. You got NBA, NFL, NHL, MLB, WNBA, MLS. Like the famine of sports was in the spring, but the harvest has come this fall. It's all on TV. You can watch it at any, it's crazy. There's so much of it. But basically pick your major team sport and regardless of which one it is, here's a commonality. There are players who sit on the bench. When it's really game time, when it really matters, there are a number of players who sit on the sidelines and wait. And they cool their heels and they cheer. I mean, they're, they're involved emotionally, but they're not on the field. And I had a pastor friend of mine put it this way. There is no bench in the local church. I used that illustration and uh, shared that with uh, our minister of evangelism, Ryan Young, who used to play football, and he spent a little time on the bench sometimes, and he goes, dude, that's an offensive metaphor. And <laughs> then when we were talking, he was like, I get it, though, I get it. Here's the thing. Like, when, when we think about when is it game time, I want to make sure you understand. I have longed for today, but this isn't game time. 24-7 from Sunday to Saturday is game time. The church operates all of the time, needs every single body part engaged because life as God has given us, each day a gift from our Lord is the field. Each day is on the clock. This isn't just the time that, oh, this is where the, 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 the best or the, the, the talented or the special Christians or the paid Christians or whatever you want to say about staff or about a preacher, which by the way, I would do this for free uh, because of how much I love Jesus and how much he's put a passion in me. Uh, I don't want our executive minister to change my pay scale, but still, I'm just saying. <laughs> but every single body part matters and there is no bench in the local church because when when we get rid of the idea of, of a bench or of a space where, okay, well, there's some Christians in wait who are in reserve who aren't really engaged. Well, guess what? When we get rid of that, we can accomplish incredible things together, both with and for each other. And that's because of where Paul heads next, which is that unity creates equal opportunity for using our God-given gifts. Equal opportunity. Now, this is critical for a healthy Christian community, but, but we can't really talk about the opportunity to use gifts without addressing the idea that God has actually given each one of us gifts in the first place. Paul says it like this in verse 6, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Now, this, I want to make sure there's a couple things to note here. That the list that follows is he, he talks about uh, prophecy and serving and teaching and, and encouraging and giving and, and leadership or, or about showing kindness or your, your translation may say uh, mercy or compassion. Here's a couple things to note. First, the list right here in Romans 12 is by no means exhaustive. The New Testament has other passages with all kinds of other gifts mentioned that aren't mentioned right here. So don't scan through the list and just go, oh, womp, womp, I'm not on here. Guess I'm not gifted. That's not true. This is not an exhaustive list. Number two, Paul writes, assuming everyone has God-given gifts, because if you're part of the church, you have God's grace. And that means that in a healthy Christian community, in the words of a pastor named Abraham Cho, no one can say, 
I don't need them. And no one can say, they don't need me. Every single person has some God-given gift. And by the way, when, when we say gift, this isn't just like a skill. This isn't just something that you're, you're good at. It's also tied to, the, to your, your passion. That, that there's something in you that comes alive when you do something. There's something in you that, that feels drawn towards a certain act. I heard a church planner say that when they were trying to discern some of the gifts inside of their core team uh, and, and new members who would come to their church, uh, they, would, they would just put a bunch of news headlines in front of those people. And they'd say, hey, I want you to just pray and I want you to circle the ones that you feel the most drawn to. And it was this exercise to then begin to look at what were these people drawn to? What, what tugged at their heart? What, what issue or what event or what thing did they wish that they were involved in or could contribute to? Because part of how God's gifted us is not just that we're able to do things, but also that the Spirit draws us and inclines us towards them. And lastly, perhaps most importantly, there's, there's not a single gift right here in Romans 12 that you can use by yourself. I don't want you to miss that. Each gift requires being in community to actually use the gift. They are gifts for the body, for other people around us, for the building up of unity inside the church. And so think about it this way. Like this is, this is maybe why Paul said something that may have slipped by us in verse five. Paul writes and says, we are many parts of one body, listen close, and we all belong to each other. Now, that is strong language. We belong to each other. Like, what does this mean? Okay, here's, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you have things you're good at and really you need to serve at every opportunity. That's not what the passage is saying. Paul's getting at this idea and saying, God's will for other people in our church includes them experiencing your gifts. That God's will for your life is partly tied up in you experiencing the gifts of some others. That's a level of interconnection and interdependence that meets that idea of belonging to each other. And Hills Church, I, I just got to say, I, I'm so proud of how I have seen so many of you live into that. Live into gifts where you come and you, you serve, you share. And it's not just, not just in, in services for those, and, and praise God for the volunteers today and every weekend, but, but also for the ways that you do that throughout the week in ways that aren't always measured, aren't always accounted for, and yet our Heavenly Father sees each one and they each contribute to the unity and building up of the body of Christ. But it's not only the things that we do for each other, it's also the things that we unite together to do to make an impact on others. I mean, there, there are so many different gifts I feel like I could highlight, but as I was reading this week and thinking about the last six months, one of these just jumped off the page, and that was, if it is giving, give generously. That's actually one of our next steps at the hills. But as I was thinking about this, I, I was thinking about the fact that that here in, in six months during a time when it seems like the economy is going all, all kinds of the place and there's all kinds of fear and, and wondering about how things are doing and unemployment is going up, uh, giving 
has, has been incredible, not just inside our church from a regular offering standpoint, but even, even looking at things that just go outside our walls to bless others, like our Renew offering. In June, I gave an update about where we were at, and we had passed $900,000, but, but uh, the, the number just kept increasing after I had given that update. And so, uh, I just, uh, as part of reentry, I just felt like, hey, there's, a, there's an exciting thing we, we need to enjoy, something that we would normally get to do in person, but we've actually done over the last few months, and that's be able to actually announce and tell our Renew partners uh, what they are receiving from our Renew offering this last spring. And if you're not familiar with Renew, if you're new to our church, this is an offering that happens once a year where every single dollar goes outside our walls to bless ministries and local and international partners who work to serve the poor and the marginalized and the disenfranchised and so, so many different incredible Renew partners. And so I, I want you to watch this Hills Church. Check this out. Hello, everyone. Hi, Kavum. Hello. Hi. Hi. Friends. Well, we are so thrilled to be able to celebrate with y'all as we kind of tie a bow on the end of this Renew season, which was our first year ever to host Renew Weekend online. Don't want to take up too much more of your time. I want to wrap up the call, but we actually have a little bit of a surprise for you today. You can actually go outside and we have some friends who love what you're doing and they've brought your check and they want to celebrate with you. Ten like to say how grateful we are over the years for the support of the Hills and Renew because we re literally could not have held our doors open. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. We love you guys. Oh man, can we celebrate that one more time? <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Oh man. When it comes to our gifts, God loves to work among us to bless the, the church body, but he also loves to work through his people in ways that bless others and can even get the world's attention. So that brings us to the little Canadian town of Gander. 10,000 population, suddenly some 7,000 passengers and crew land from flights from all over the world, jumbo jets that have been redirected and the community had to respond. The grocery store shelves were empty because Gander citizens were making meals to feed them. Emergency orders were put in place to focus the public resources on this monumental task of hospitality. Schools, gyms, and all kinds of public buildings shut down because they opened up as temporary shelters for all the stranded travelers. Hotels gave up every single room to crew and to pilots. International flights were disrupted for almost a week before American airspace opened back up. And it took every citizen in Gander a true community sacrifice. The need was great, and so everyone was needed. It's no wonder the story spread like it did. It went from a few headlines and some articles spreading around the world to then turning into books and documentaries and even a Broadway musical telling the story of what happened in this little Canadian town. 
Movements of sacrificial unity impress and impact us because there is something in us that longs to experience and contribute to a move of unity like that. It feels Man, deeply real, strikes a chord in us that's hard to describe, and I would argue it is because that is how God made us, to want this, to pursue this. And in the months and years ahead, Hills Church, if God so chose to reroute thousands into our church community, it will take a united effort in which everyone's contribution, everyone's gift, everyone's all in will matter. And it will take immense sacrifice. The need will be great and all of us will be needed. So as we start this series, um, I, just, I just want us to walk into the next few weeks in view of God's mercy. Because by looking again at God who did not spare his own son, by looking again at Jesus who came to rescue us from our sin, by looking again at Jesus who denied himself, took up his cross, and died for the sins of the world, in view of God's mercy, looking at a dying Savior, we can become living sacrifices and realize he truly has created unity that outlasts and overcomes and then even leverages the differences between us so that we can live as one body made up of many parts, blessed by many gifts, but following the same Lord. Let's pray together. God, in your mercy and grace, um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for this time today. Thank you for the opportunity to gather again. Lord, we, we've longed for this day, and yet we long for a greater reunion still. A time when all sin is gone, all sickness is gone, all pain is gone, all disputes and division are gone, and we are one with you. But until that day, help us to live in view of your mercy so that we have mercy on others, realizing you have given us gifts and that we are needed even as we need each other. Lead us and guide us and shape a deeper and greater unity by your Holy Spirit, helping us to live into the reality of being the body of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.